Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 27, 2023, including Microsoft's Q4 earnings show that Xbox is financially on the rise, Ubisoft CEO talks about consolidation in the games industry, a new Xbox dashboard is now live for all users, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2009, 14 years ago, Sorry Demo Watashi wa Aishiteru came to Xbox Live Arcade. You might be asking yourself, what the fuck is that? And uh, if you're asking yourself that, uh, you're, you're right to do so because I don't think anyone knows what the heck this game was. It just so happens to be that uh, not a whole lot of games have come out historically on July 27th. So we're scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, and so for those of you who don't know what Soi Demo Watashi wa Aishiteru is, uh, this is an Xbox Live Arcade game that was released in 2009 for Xbox 360. This is a, uh, a visual novel, and I, I want to read you, I pull this, uh, you know, what I, what I do is I pull this from Moby Games every week. They have like a, a gaming history, and you can put any day of the year on it, and it will tell you every game that's released on that day. You know, by um, uh, by year, so it'll be like here's 1994, here's 2001, here's 2007, whatever. And so yeah, I just I'm scrolling through all the years since Xbox has been around. In 2009, this is a game that came out to Xbox, so I picked it. But it's funny because you can click on it and read the game's profile and see like who developed it, what year it came out, what platforms it was for, like a description of the game, how it was received critically, and all these things. And for this game, I thought I'd uh, I'd actually just pull an excerpt because there's a description and then a little trivia bit that I think will will definitely, I don't know, maybe make you want to play the game, but definitely pique your interest a little bit. Uh, It says, description, (laughs) this is the game, a delinquent student named Tomo Kikukara has been called up to the roof by a class representative, Miyu. She she berates him for causing trouble at school, but there's something different today. She's called him there to confess her love for him. Kikukara, however, is simply baffled by this. What will happen between the two of them? Sorry demo watashiwa aishiteru, which translates in English to "but still I love you," is a short visual novel taking less than an hour to complete. It is told from Kikukawa's point of view, showing Miyu's adv- advances and his own reactions. Sexual situations are implied by dialogue, but do not appear in the visuals. That's what the description of the game says. And then Moby Games puts a little trivia mark on it that says, you know, just I guess this is a thing that happened, but the trivia bit says. Uh, <laughs> The game was pulled from the Xbox community games uh, less than two weeks after it was originally put on the Xbox marketplace and went for sale. I believe that the the delisting originally was due to sexual themes and imagery pre- uh, present in a later part of the game, but uh, which broke Microsoft's content restrictions for indie game services. However, a revised version of the game was then later uploaded back to the Xbox marketplace the following month. So I don't know. I, I haven't checked. I don't know. Like if I search this game now, can I can I still download? 
download this game? Can I play the revised, less sexually explicit version of this uh, of this graphic novel, this visual novel video game released in 2009 for the Xbox 360? But yeah, I mean, generally, I, I feel like we're like Mass Effect 2 or like, you know, fucking like grab by the ghoulies or something normal, you know. But uh, I guess this year we're talking about Sori Demu Watashiwa Ashiteru, which is, uh, but still, I love you. <laughs> a visual novel about a teacher making advances on a student on the rooftop of a, of a school in Japan. So, all right, shout out to Xbox History. Uh, guys, welcome to episode 217 of the Xbox On podcast. I'm in a good mood this week because I did something I'm not supposed to do on my way home from work. I had to stop by Publix, the local grocery store, and pick up a couple items, and uh, I made the mistake. Well, it's not a mistake because I don't regret it, but I, I made a decision that I'm not supposed to make, which is I bought the chocolate-covered almonds, and I'm so helplessly addicted to these things. I just got to – I can't I can't eat, like, a normal amount of this, of this bag of chocolate almonds, and so – I've gorged, I think, about three quarters of it already, and it's definitely like a family size uh, sharing kind of bag that you're supposed to maybe eat over the course of a week or two. But uh, anyway, so I'm in a good mood. I had a shit ton of chocolate covered almonds. I don't know what's happened to me in recent years. I've become obsessed with the combination of chocolate and nuts. I used to hate nuts with my candy, but now I can't get enough of it. I just love particularly almonds, pecans, pecans, however you want to say it, with my chocolate. It's just so damn good. So. Shout out to that. Guys, another reason I'm in a great mood this week is because, well, we don't have to really talk about the Activision this and that Microsoft crap. This feels like one of the most normal weeks of Xbox on in so long. Yes, it's not a crazy big news week. There's nothing super salacious to talk about. It's kind of a little bit of a slow period, if I'm being quite honest. But it just feels comforting to know that we have time to talk about Sorry, Demu uh, for Xbox Live Arcade and whatever kind of mundane stories we have on the on the docket for today. I'm, I'm looking forward to just not getting into the Activision stuff. That said, we do have one Activision update, which we'll get into in just a quick second. But it's brief. It's going to take us two seconds to get through, and then we won't want to talk about it for the rest of the week, I think. And then... But before we get that to that, I do want to just talk about, as we always do in order, the notable games releasing this week. So if you are an Xbox video games player, if you play your video games on the Xbox, a notable game coming out this week that you might want to pay attention to or you might even be looking forward to is Remnant 2, which actually at the time I'm recording this podcast is already available. It's already released. It came out on Tuesday, July 25th for Xbox Series S, X, as well as PC. And Remnant, I don't know. Remnant's a game I'm not... I'm not crazy on like I, I like I, I've, I've watched trailers of Remnant it looks cool but I just know it's not from in fact actually what do we got here Temple Knight wrote in and says hey Jesse are you gonna play Remnant 2 it's getting great reviews well actually I was just getting into this Temple Knight I don't think I will because not only am I just trying to be really good because this game has this this fall has so many good games I want to play and I'm trying to be good about where I allocate my money uh, on gaming for the rest of the year but also it's just you, you know I've been on a little bit of a journey these, this past year with trying branch out, try a couple of these Souls-type games, and it just never works out for me. Lies of P, Wolong Fallen Dynasty, The Surge, you know, whatever the case may be, these games just never work out for me. And I know Remnant's a little different. My understanding is Remnant is something like if you took, like, the looter-shooter mechanics of Destiny and mashed it up with, like, a, a Souls game, and I don't know if that's doing it justice. That's just kind of how I understand the game to be that you, you get something like Remnant from the Ashes, the first game. That's kind of what it, it was in the sequels, kind of more of that, but even better. And 
I could understand why on paper that that combination might sound like chocolate and peanut butter to many people and might might make for a really great game. And I'm happy for those who are looking forward to the sequel and love the first game or who already played the sequel and love it. And that's great. But I just I just know this isn't going to do it for me because it's got the Metroid or not the Metroidvania, but the um, Souls like thing happening where I just know it's not going to work for me. So it's going to be a waste of my money to put down on a full price brand new game knowing every other game that's even remotely like this doesn't work for me and then on top of that it's got the games as a service angle which while I know I do like that angle I, I, I really like a lot of games as a service technically I mean you think about it Halo's kind of a games as a service I love that um, Destiny's definitely games as a service I love that Call of Duty's turned into a games as a service I love Call of Duty it's just the thing is there's there's just not enough time for me to introduce another one of the, you know, it's like if I'm going to make room for another games as a service type game or not really necessarily games as a service, I should say looter shooter because you can be a looter shooter without being a games as a service. And my understanding is that this is more of a looter shooter type experience, maybe more like a outriders where it's not necessarily a, you have to play this game for the next five years and come back for seasonal updates, but maybe more of a, you do want to keep replaying the game and in replaying similar missions and areas to grind and get better loot and gear. And while that is an attractive element to gaming for me, it's just I already have too many games out there that fill that void. And so the last thing I need is a new unexpected game that scratches that itch that I'm already having scratched quite well by a million other games, taking more of my time away from branching out and experiencing new things that I haven't tried before. Like, I don't know, maybe finally getting around to playing the Mass Effect trilogy or I don't know, maybe uh, maybe Alan Wake 2 this fall, which I'm really looking forward to. Something like that. I don't know. I just I feel like Remnant 2 wouldn't be a good match for me on many reasons, but I can't deny when I look at the trailer, the game looks cool. I understand the appeal, at least aesthetically. I just don't think that this this game and I are a match. Um, so, shout out to Remnant Two. It is getting great reviews from what I from what I've seen, and I hope I hope if you decide to pick it up, Temple Knight, I hope you love it. I hope you love it so much that your girlfriend or your wife or whoever that is in your profile picture walks in on you and sees you smooching. You're, because you because you you bought a physical copy at GameStop, you wait out till midnight to get the physical copy. I hope they walk in on you and see you smooching the box of the game, and they go, "What the fuck are you doing, Temple Knight?" Because Temple Knight is absolutely your real life name. It's definitely not an alias. And you say, "This isn't what it looks like," and they say, "Well, then what is it?" And you go, "Okay, this is exactly what it looks like." And you pull out the user manual, even though they don't make those anymore, and you start making out with page seven because page seven has all the uh, choking hazard warnings and, and, and it's epilepsy warnings, and you wow, you love that shit you love it temple night you love it and so i hope you're enjoying remnant too and thank you for writing in but uh all right that being said that nonsense a little taste of the schizophrenia that the show's known for out of the way let's get in let's move on to our only activision update that we have to talk about of the week there's really nothing to say to this it's just a, a paragraph a little excerpt and we'll move on this happened literally hours after last week's episode went went live so it's kind of already old news anyway, but according to VGC, uh, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, uh, could be about to uh, could be about to pause the battle between. Well, that sounds weird when you say it, but that is how it's written. Could be about to pause the battle with Microsoft over its impending Activision deal, according to Bloomberg, citing people familiar with the case. This could open the possibility for a potential settlement between the two groups. The FT, should the FTC withdraw its case, it would open. Uh, the parties to discuss a settlement if Microsoft and Activision are able to convince the FTC's commissioner to become or to come to the table. According to the report, an order to withdraw the trial could come any time now. So 
whatever. This deal, this deal's done. They're working some shit out with the UK at the CMA, and then they'll close the deal, and that'll happen in the coming weeks or months. And I got nothing else to say. You know, unless unless something happens that we have to talk about it, I got nothing to say. So good, good for you, FTC, doing the thing and all of the talking points we've had in the past, whatever. Let's move on to well, we have no corrections to get through this week, so we'll just jump straight into the mildly amusing stories, the story, stories that are great little warm ups, little appetizers, little uh, little. Um, a mouge bouge kind of deals and we'll get through all this and then we'll uh talk about the games we're playing this week and then we'll talk about the real news and i'm just kind of outlining the show at this point but seriously let's start off with the mildly amusing stories i want to start out with uh one that's maybe not too surprising but possibly a little disappointing i know those who did play this game liked it although it doesn't seem like that was many people but from vgc ubisoft has canceled plans for a sequel to the 2020 mythological open world adventure game immortals phoenix rising that's according to multiple development sources who told vgc anonymously that a follow-up game was an early development at ubisoft quebec but company leadership ultimately decided to cancel it earlier this month due to the perceived challenges around establishing the ip the original Immortals, which was also developed by Assassin's Creed Odyssey Studio Ubisoft Quebec, received generally favorable reviews. Ubisoft's intention was to grow Immortals into a franchise, with journalist Jeff Grubb reporting last year that it intended to explore different mythologies other than Greece with future titles, such as a Hawaiian Polynesian myth or something like that, and you know, for a sequel or some potential sequel. The original game saw players controlling a forgotten hero on the quest to save the Greek gods. Later, the game's DLC explored Chinese mythology. I didn't know that's cool. By having players take control of a new hero, martial arts artist Q, um, Sources told VGC future plans for Immortals was cast into doubt after the company decided to pivot towards its most prominent brands. Uh, we'll get into that last part a little bit later with one of the main stories or... Yeah, with one of the main stories that coming up in a little bit, so we'll table that part for now. But yeah, I mean, it, it, in a way, not surprising, right? Because the first one kind of came and went. Uh, d- definitely didn't sell very well. It did review quite well, and then we saw it. I mean, this game, I think it came out, came out twenty twenty. I want to say it came out like in November. They just kind of squeaked it out in the middle of like the busy holiday season. And it didn't do well at all. And then within like a month, the game was on like deep sales. I think it was like 30 or 40 bucks by December, uh, like four, four, six weeks, something like that after it came out. And then they pretty shortly afterwards released a demo, you might remember, to try and entice players like, hey, give this game a go. You might be pleasantly surprised. It's pretty good. And I remember everyone who did play it, the kind of reaction was like, hey, this is a really adequate kind of Zelda the Breath of the Wild clone if you don't own a switch if you're someone who has a playstation or an xbox or a pc but you don't have a switch this is a really great way to get that zelda breath of the wild fix on other consoles other platforms and that was kind of the overwhelming sentiment around the game i actually downloaded and played the demo for like maybe 40 minutes i don't know barely and that was my immediate reaction as well but i definitely didn't play this game enough to really render any kind of serious commentary or verdict on what the game is but yes i did get an immediate breath of the wild vibe so to speak uh from from my very very brief almost non-existent time spent on the game but yeah i mean it's it's disappointing right because ubisoft one thing i've always respected about ubisoft is they do have kind of a propensity to be like hey we released this game it didn't do crazy well but we're gonna weather that kind of first iteration or second iteration and and have a go at a second or third attempt because we believe in the core idea here we believe that there's something to this and when you think about that idea and that kind of attitude that ubisoft has has exercised in the past you get franchises like 
like Far Cry, which while the original Far Cry games did well, especially Far Cry 2, they were nothing compared to what Far Cry 4 or Far Cry 3 and beyond did. Far Cry 3 is kind of considered the Far Cry that really establishes the franchise, really cements it as what we know it to be today, and kind of gives it the kind of mass appeal legitimacy that we all understand Far Cry to be. So, you know, it's like if they didn't weather through Far Cry 1, 2, and the one or two spinoffs that the game had before they made it to Far Cry 3, they would have never found that kind of winning formula they have with Far Cry. And you can say the same thing about Watch Dogs, although to a lesser extent, because Watch Dogs had a similar thing where even though the first game had a lot of hype riding on it, the first game kind of under-delivered in a lot of ways, and then they're like, well, let's let's go back to the drawing board. And while I personally don't have experience playing Watch Dogs, I know people who do play Watch Dogs tend to think that the sequel was a huge leap forward and a big step up from the first game. And so, again, even though Watch Dogs was never as commercially successful as a game like, I don't know, Far Cry or Assassin's Creed, it certainly was an example of, you know, they had something that was kind of there with the first entry, but with the second entry, they were really able to establish it into something far greater. And I, I mean, I think I think the Watchdog games did well enough, you know. I mean, they made a third one eventually, so they must have done well enough to make to warrant that third entry. But I don't know. I just like that's that's a thing that Ubisoft has kind of historically done. And I, I really appreciate and respect that about them. It's not like, uh, oh, well, the first game didn't like blow everyone out of the water. We have to fucking we have to fucking shut, you know, pull the plug and shut this down. Like they, they know when they ha- when they're on to something, they have something good. And generally they can see it through a little further. But that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case for Immortals Phoenix Rising, which is a little disappointing because I, I even though this game didn't do it for me and I, I aesthetically didn't do it for me in terms of what kind of game it was, it wasn't anything I was necessarily interested in. I did appreciate that it was a huge departure from literally everything else Ubisoft was doing at the time. And it's just sad that that's not something they're going to be doing going forward because we're seeing Ubisoft cancel a lot of projects right now. And even though I think Ubisoft is on the path to getting in a healthier place than they've been the past few years, it's just sad that it looks like it's going to be off the back of like 40 new Assassin's Creed games, X Defiant, which I actually really like, and then a new Far Cry game basically skinned as an Avatar game and things like that, where it's like, okay, well, now we're playing a little safe again. We're not really experimenting, exploring. And I know they got Star Wars Outlaws on the way, and that looks great, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, having a Star Wars IP is kind of like, it's you know, it's a gimme. Like, it's, it's a known quantity, so even though it is a new game, it's something that Ubisoft hasn't done before. It's in a very well-known IP, very well-established IP that almost guarantees them financial success should they not completely fuck up the game you know so I don't, I don't know man it just seems like they're playing it a little safe now which even though obviously we want a good healthy Ubisoft to keep the competition going and to keep the ecosystem vibrant and to keep you know the variety within the games industry I just don't want to see it happen through the uh through through ways of just getting more I don't know just the seven more I think we're we want I think we're literally waiting on like five or six Assassin's Creed games right now so like I don't you know what I'm saying it's just that's kind of lame. <laughs> so, yeah, pour one out for Immortals Phoenix Rising. And always, you know, while we're talking about Ubisoft, pour one out for Starlink Battle for Atlas, another game that only got one shot. That game was way too late to the party, I swear to God. If that game came out, like, four years sooner, it would have been a huge hit. But, yeah, shout out to Starlink Battle for Atlas, another Ubisoft game that never got a second chance but was a great game. And, uh, yeah, that's it for our first one here. Let's, let's move along here, guys. Let's talk about a new Xbox dashboard, which I don't have all that much fervor for but it seems like people are really hyped about this so let's talk about it microsoft have announced that they're rolling out a new home screen for all xbox users 
built as the new home experience, the redesigned layout has been available to alpha users of the Inside, Insider program since early May. and is now rolling out to all Series S, X, and Xbox One console owners. According to Xbox, the new system design was created with by receiving... Sorry, after receiving feedback from the Xbox community and Insider members and studying what players were using the most with their home screen. The company has listed features out that they believe sum up the new uh, home screen best. So these are some bullet points they listed out. They moved the library, Microsoft Store, Game Pass, and Search and Settings buttons are options all the way to the top of the screen. So no matter where you are, you can always scroll up to the top and have those kind of key access options just readily accessible. Put, uh, next up, they said putting recently played games and other content apps towards the bottom of the screen, creating a huge block of space in the middle of the screen where you got your core things at the top that are always there, your most recent, most played apps on the bottom, and then a huge blank space to kind of show off your home screen and make it look a little sleek and sexy. Next, they said the addition of an option to change the background to match the game being highlighted and recently played. So yeah, as you tab through games, it's, I think that's kind of a carryover from what PlayStation's doing right now, kind of paralleling what they're doing to kind of show off the game you're playing. If you're if you're highlighting or selecting a game, it will kind of show that as your background. Uh, next, improved uh, improvement of game discovery by introducing personalized lists of games curated for players. Next, they said allowing players to pin favorite games, create groups of system groups like Quick Resume or Home. Next, an update to friends and, and community updates, which, uh, sorry, an updated friends and community updates row, which helps players find what's going on in their community. And lastly, a watch and listen spotlight showing which media apps and content are available. So I think overall this, this update is actually quite user-friendly i think it's really clean it's very accessible it's really I, I don't know i gotta be honest man i generally find uis to be pretty whatever there are some I, I like more than others don't get me wrong i'm not indifferent in general towards these things like i care quite a bit about user interface like like don't get me wrong i'll bitch and moan every day for the rest of my life about how much i miss windows phone because i think iOS and Android look like absolute dog shit to this day compared to Windows Phone, and there's nothing I don't I don't know at this point. I, iOS and Android have changed designs so many times and have looked so different over such a long period of time. I don't know that iOS or Android could ever look half as good as Windows Phone looked in fucking 2012. But here we are in a world without Windows Phone because y'all are a bunch of stupid pieces of shit that bought iPhone 5 and ugh, Samsung Galaxy when you could have bought the Lumia 1020. But here we are. I'm not mad at you. I'm not holding a grudge, you stupid idiot moron bitch. I'm letting bygones be bygones. So yeah, I, I care I care about UI. I care about user interface and home screens and dashboards and the way things look and feel. I think it matters. It's it's it, you know, I mean, as someone who appreciates Disney World because I love theming and immersion and the way things make you feel, it's like, yeah, I mean, these things these things matter. It's all part of the experience. But I got to be honest, in in the entire history of xbox i don't know that i've ever been like i i hate this new dashboard i fucking hate it go back i have definitely liked some more than others but i don't know i just feel like people are constantly talking about the xbox dashboard and to me i'm like eh, it's serviceable and like i said don't get me wrong there's some i like more than others the 2008 overhaul on the xbox 360 the first one that moved away from the blades menus that everyone's so nostalgic for i actually thought that first update in 2008 for xbox 360 was phenomenal and then later in the xbox 360 years the dashboard got a little worse 
I actually think the early Xbox One years, which everyone hated that early Windows 8 dashboard, was stunning. Definitely there were some issues. It was missing features that used to be on Xbox. Um, so that was an issue. I remember a lot of achievement features were missing at the launch of the Xbox One. But visually, I loved that dashboard. I know it's controversial, but I think that dashboard was phenomenal. But then like towards the end of the Xbox One years, I actually liked the dashboard less. This new dashboard we have on Series X that just came out, I, I actually like it more than the dashboard it's replacing. But at the end of the day, again, it's like I just feel like most of these dashboards are fine. They look good. I still prefer the way it looks to most dashboards I've used on other consoles. I mean, anything's better than Nintendo Switch, which is just a a white background with literally nothing to do but scroll your fucking brains out. I mean, like, I don't know. What do you want me to say here? It's like, I think it looks good. I, I like that they try to clear up the space where everything you absolutely need to access is quickly and readily available, but also it leaves plenty of space to show off the background. So whatever background picture you set, it kind of shows it off and looks really sleek and sexy. I think that's a really cool move. I like that minimalist while still having all the necessary core features being readily available, I think is a really cool looking move, but I don't know, man, I don't have too much to say. I, I've been using this, this update for a little while because I, I am part of the Xbox insider program, which, you know, anyone can do. It's, it's, it's fun way to try out these updates before they hit the, before they hit the um, prime time, I guess if you want to say, but yeah, I've been using this, I've been using this dashboard in some capacity for a little while now, and I've liked it, and I'm glad it's out. I think people generally find it to be an improvement, but I'm sure people also find arbitrary means to, to complain about it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, like, the best things they can do with the UI and in, 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 um, dashboard updates is to try and find ways to make the system load and run things faster and smoother so that the OS and the dashboard and all that is less taxing on the console to free up more power for other things like loading games and playing games like to me it's like those are the updates i'm most interested in things that are just going to make the dashboard and the operations of the console feel snappy and quick and fluid like that's the kind of stuff i look for at this point because visually i think they more or less have it i mean we're pretty far away from the the windows 8 type dashboards we used to have on xbox which will always be my favorite but um yeah, I mean, even like this more like Windows 10 slash Windows 11 inspired uh, kind of more curved edges thing we got going on. I still think it looks pretty good. It works. It's functional. I'm happy. I do feel like it has less of an emphasis. While while ads are still there, there's less of an emphasis on ads. So it looks a little less, looks a little less like a billboard. It looks a little more premium in that regard. So I think that's a big plus that people will definitely take note of. So I don't know. Overall, pretty cool. Oh, Temple Knight wrote in again, actually, and he says, hot take. Instead of Xbox pushing new UI designs onto everyone, they should make it an optional as a toggle in the settings. I get that. I I get that, and I think that would be cool. I don't know how... I don't, I don't know. I don't know how these things work. I don't know if that's just complicating this, you know, complicating things for no reason. At the end of the day, the UI matters a lot for Xbox. It matters a lot more for them than it matters for us because it, while it's inconvenient that users have to relearn the home screen every time they update things drastically like this. The reason why they had to do it is because they're constantly looking for the perfect balance of giving players an aesthetically pleasing experience that helps them find what they're looking for quickly and easily so that they're able to spend more and more time engaged on their Xbox using all the features and functions and less time getting frustrated trying to look for things they can't find. So that's the main reason why they do these things is because they're constantly trying to improve that user engagement kind of 
time and ease of use and in that that kind of customer satisfaction. But the other reason why they're constantly doing this is they're trying to they're trying to strike a good balance between what the user wants and what the advertiser wants. Because as we know, you know whether you're playing on Xbox, Steam, PlayStation. Um, Nintendo's the best about it, but even they're kind of bad at it these days, but it's usually their own ads. You know, these, these machines have become glorified billboards to some extent when you, when you boot them up these days, it's just always like some fucking ad. You boot up your Xbox and it's like, don't forget to go to AMC theaters and watch DreamWorks Trolls 7. And it's like, why the fuck? I I'm, I'm here to shoot Nazis in the face. Why are you trying to get me to watch DreamWorks Trolls? And you know, that's kind of like what these things do now is they just advertise Shit, they're like, hey, hymns, you having a hard time getting your penis hard? Buy hymns pills, and it's like, okay, Xbox, for God's sake, man. I was gonna play, uh, I was gonna play, what's it called? <laughs> what's it called? I was gonna relive my childhood memories by playing Story Demo Watashiwa Aishiteru. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't know, man. I, I think it's fine. It, it's if you, I understand a lot of people have very, very, um, very passionate takes about which dashboard they prefer. I know a lot of people are nostalgic for the blades from the early Xbox 360 years. Don't get me wrong. I love the blades. They looked great. It was a really cool UI. It wouldn't work today. It's just too simple for all the features and functions that exist today. But I, I agree. It was a beautiful looking design. Uh, there's people like me that love all the Windows 8 stuff because we're fundamentally broken as human beings. And, you know, there's people who want to make their Xbox Series X look like an OG Xbox so they can be retro and slap a fucking Mario 8-bit sticker on the back of their phone because who gives a shit? They bought an OtterBox. Their phone already looks ugly. Nobody cares. You know, there's all, all kinds of people who want all kinds of things. But ultimately, what you you want to do is you want to have a streamlined process to keep the operating system running as clean, easy, and efficient as possible while delivering all the features in an easy to read, easy to navigate, kind of presentable manner for your users. And then also while being able to find a tasteful way to throw some advertisements on there so you can make some fucking money. Your Xbox, your Microsoft, you might as well get some advertisement dollars from fucking WB with their with their new Flash movie by uh, booting up your Xbox and being told, hey, it's now on Blu-ray. Download it. Ultra high definition. Download it, you stupid idiot. So, I don't know. That's all I gotta say on the new Xbox dashboard. Looks good. I think it looks clean. It's not my favorite one, but it's, it's up there. I think it's one of the better ones they've done, so... I'd say overall, pretty good job. Temple Knight, please take your lips off of uh, the user manual for Remnant 2 for a moment and just uh, and just thank God that at least when you boot up your Xbox, it doesn't have three red rings. So there is that. Guys, let's talk about pizza controllers. All right. From VGC, Microsoft has created the world's first ever pizza-scented controller as part of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tie-in, promotional tie-in with Paramount Pictures. Speaking of advertising, the company will be giving away a limited number of ooze green wireless controllers to coincide with next month's cinema release of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Quote, designed to deliver the smell of Turtles' beloved meal, the Turtles' beloved meal, not a beloved turtle meal, to your Xbox, to your gaming time, these exclusive Xbox wireless controllers come with a built-in scent diffuser shaped like the slice of a delicious New York pizza. It says za, but I refuse to, I refuse to, I, I refuse to say it even though I just said it. And that quote comes from Xbox's Josh Stein, who also says the controller comes with four variations, each representing a signature color weapon and personality to the Turtle Brothers, Leonardo, Raphael, Donatello, and Michelangelo. To be 
to be one of uh, sorry to be in the chance to win one of these controllers, fans should follow Xbox Game Pass on Twitter or X as it's now called and retweet the sweepstakes tweet uh, that you know for, about the controller. Just scroll until you see a fucking pizza controller and then um, and then retweet it for a chance to win. But guys, they show a picture of it. This is literally a fake cartoon-looking slice of pizza with an Xbox controller stapled to it, presumably, maybe hot glue gunned to it. And um, and the controller looks normal. It just has a Ninja Turtles skin on it. It's like regular Xbox Series X controller with a Ninja Turtles decal on it. Uh, but there's literally a, a plastic piece of pizza, like, I don't know, fucking nail gunned to the back of this controller. And in that slice of pizza, that hunky slice of plastic pizza, is a scent diffuser, which will smell like, smelly pizza so i guess they i don't know man i don't know why we're talking about this i guess very few people will ever be able to use these controllers because they're probably going to have very few of them available to win but i don't know we're not really talking about this so much as it's an opportunity for you guys to win a pizza scented controller but we're more so talking about it because can we just admit that maybe we've gone a little bit too far does everything always have to be this over the top does it does I, maybe I'm just being a buzzkill. Maybe I'm just being a, you know, a little bit of a killjoy here. But, like, I don't know. Does it always have to go to this extreme? Why can't it just be, like, retweet for a chance to win a really cool Xbox controller with a Ninja Turtles decal or sticker or skin on it? And it's like, cool, I play Xbox, I like Ninja Turtles, I'm going to retweet for a chance to win. No, they got to take it to the nth degree. They got to throw a slice of pizza on the back of the controller and say, it's not enough. Your, your controller has to reek of pizza. And I'm just thinking about all the greasy-ass motherfuckers that had those Cheeto-dusty fingers, and then they play Xbox all day. And then after so many hours of playtime, because I mean, you know they're playing something like fucking Elden Ring, these sweaty-ass motherfuckers, after 40, 50 hours with this thing, their controller's smells like a weird um, artificial pizza smell mixed with sweaty hands, mixed with cheddar cheese, Cheeto dust from six months ago, and it, and it all concocts together into making a controller that looks and smells exactly like what everyone who doesn't like video games thinks about people like us. This is bad for our reputation. It's bad for our image. Guys, do not support this pizza controller. This is worse than a few years back when they did the, uh, the, the, the grease-free chicken dinner uh, PUBG controller. You remember that one, the gray controller for PUBG that was grease resistant so you could eat fried chicken and play Xbox at the same time without your controller getting all oily and greasy? This is bad. This is not progressive. This is a step backwards. If we landed on the moon, this is like this is like going back in time and in, in, in putting an exploit in the, in, the, in, in, in the rocket ship so that we don't make it to the moon and that it goes boom, boom in the sky and then we end up in the fucking ice age and the Russians win. This is bad. This is reductive this is this is backwards and i need it to stop i want it to, i demand for it to stop we'll talk about pizza in a little bit but not like this all right let's move on let's talk about ubisoft again all right ubisoft is canceling unused ubisoft accounts disabling users access to their purchased games according to a user on twitter they received an email from ubisoft warning them that they should click on a link in the email that would stop the account suspension the account including all purchased games associated with the account being inaccessible after a certain period should they not renew or follow the link. In response, the Ubisoft support Twitter account wrote the following, quote, We just want to chime in and say that you can avoid the account closure by logging into your account within 30 days of receiving the email and selecting the cancel account closure link contained in the email. 
Uh, end quote. When previously questioned on the issue, Ubisoft claimed that due to the CDPR or GDPR regulations, the company is required to, quote, close inactive accounts to comply with local data protection legislation, end quote. Or continuing the quote, this is the this is only if we have strong reasons to believe that the account in question will remain unused, reads the message on the Ubisoft website. Uh, Ubisoft also claims that it won't delete accounts with purchase as purchases attached uh, to it for four years, although the email sent to users appeared to contradict that that notion, that idea, saying or uh, with the email uh, further highlighting the issues surrounding DRM in digital games. In a digital ecosystem, it's entirely at a company's discretion whether or not they want to terminate an account, which seemingly uh, very with seemingly very little resource uh, recourse. Sorry, I can't read today. It's also highlight uh, the email also highlights that it should the publisher like Ubisoft who publishes several digital only titles decide to pull those titles from sale, even having them in your digital account is not completely reliable as a way to preserve those games as accounts can be quickly closed. So I'm really con- I'm really confused about this and I feel I feel bad. I feel like I have nothing productive to say here because I'm really confused as to why this is the case when you think about how if you have a Steam library, you have tons and tons of games tied to your Steam account. If you have an Xbox account, you have tons and tons of games tied to your Microsoft account. If you have, you know, et cetera, et cetera, they're all the same. You know, you could have a fucking Google Play Store account, a Google account, and all these apps that you've downloaded tied to your Google account. And why is it the case that none of these have some you know none of these services or or platforms have some kind of thing where it's like oh you this account's been inactive for years now we're going to delete your account and delete all the games you purchased on this account but ubisoft does and says it's in compliance with regulations and they're required to do so and that unless a purchase on your account is four years or older they have reason but it's like so if you're only canceling accounts that have game purchases that are less than four years old and have been inactive, how do you how do accounts even make it to that point if the ones that have been inactive for four years or more that have purchases don't get deactivated? This just seem I don't understand this logic here. And why even do that in the first place? Why can't these accounts just stay active? It's just you know, it's like it's not like people are exploiting your games by sharing these inactive accounts with other people who get to play the games for free because the accounts are inactive. No one's using them. So I don't know, man. Just, I got so little to say here because it's like, it doesn't matter if you're using something or not. It shouldn't go away. I have cabinets full of Game Boy games and DS games and Wii games and N64 games that I haven't played in a decade or two decades or I don't know. How old am I? Can I say three decades? I don't fucking know. But I have I have drawers and drawers and boxes full of games I haven't touched in a lot longer than four years. And God, it would, it would it sure would suck if those games just disappeared off the face of the planet just because I haven't played them in a few years and I don't plan on playing them anytime soon. I mean, damn, those things are worth money. You know, rent's expensive these days. I might need to sell my Pokemon mint condition Nintendo DS games or something of that nature so I don't know I think this is kind of fucked this is one of those many many things that's that pops up that gives people that that fodder and that argument and that right rightful position of why it's so important to preserve games and why we need physical games to continue to exist because digital is just not fully mature enough for us to trust that our games are going to be there in perpetuity and I don't know man it's just I don't know. There's a sense of security in knowing that, like, sometimes a digital-only game might get pulled from the from the storefront, right? Like, like uh, Mickey uh, Castle of Illusions uh, got pulled by Sega a few years ago, right? But 
if you bought the game when it was available and you download it to your account, it doesn't matter because you still have access to it. Even though other people can't buy the game, at least those who bought the game still have access to it. You know, if you got that that infamous PT trailer, that demo on PlayStation 4 back in the day that got delisted by Konami, it doesn't matter that new people can't download and play it. At least the people who did download it still have access to it. So you can preserve the people who had the game still having access to the game, even though new people can't necessarily purchase or download the game. So I don't know. There's a level of comfort for me and that, but knowing that you could hypothetically buy a game, it could be delisted so that new people can't buy it in the future. And then the people who did buy it will now lose access to it because their accounts can be deleted or deactivated makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. It's like, I don't fucking know. Maybe like, maybe you're like in college and then you finish college and then you, your wife immediately gets pregnant and then you have your first kid and you're trying to buy your first house and you move. And there's like a long period of time where it's like, you just, you said, Hey, for the next five years of my life, I need to hang up my Xbox or hang up my PlayStation and just nose to the grind or whatever the fucking expression is the fucking school and the job and the family and the house and try to get my life together and then when I'm in a stable point where we're kind of established then I'll let gaming back into my life I don't know that sounds a little extreme you know you don't have to go that hardcore but I don't know you could you could picture things like that where like maybe someone goes through a phase where like they're a emo high school kid and they fall out of gaming for a little while but then they come back to it harder than ever before Anything can happen. It just seems absurd to me that someone could be robbed of all their purchases in their entire account history just because they fell out of gaming or stopped playing for a while. I just think that's that's insane. I don't know, man. It's like I don't want my old baseball glove in the garage to get thrown out just because I stopped playing baseball, you know, 10 years ago. It's like, it's, I don't know, something I'm collecting, you know, maybe maybe my hand did outgrow the glove, but uh, maybe I'm going to pass it down to my son one day, but not if Ubisoft fucking breaks into my garage in the middle of the night, steals my childhood baseball glove and throws it away because I haven't used it in four plus years. God damn it, Ubisoft, stop ruining childhoods. Anyway, I got nothing else to say to that. That's weird. Uh, there's got to be more to it, a lot more context I'm missing here, but we'll follow up on it should there be any further developments. So, uh... I guess put a pin in that if uh, if we're able to have have some kind of follow up in the coming weeks. All right, we got one more quick one here to talk about. Just something I want to throw out there, just as a you know, paying paying my respects. Sad news: VGC reports veteran UK programmer John Gibson, best known for his time at Signosis uh, and, and Sony, has died, according to reports. Gibson enjoyed a career spanning four decades, best known for in modern times for the MotorStorm games and Drive Club. His career started at Image Software in 1983 and ended at Sony, where he remained until his time, until the time of his death. After teaching himself how to write mechanic uh, machine code back on the ZX81 computer, Gibson joined Imagine in his 30s, where he was affectionately known as Granddad by the rest of the much younger team. He designed several critically acclaimed games at Image, including uh, Molar Mall, Zoom, Stonkers. Uh, then he went on to program notorious, the notorious um, Bandersnatch, the ambitious mega game that was ultimately never released due to Im Imagine going bankrupt. However, after programming games like Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Cosmic War, uh, War Toad for Denton, Gibson was freelance, uh, went freelance for a few years before he joined Cygnosis in 1990, a prominent studio that eventually became uh, well acquired by, by Sony. That was like the first team they acquired back when they were 
getting the band together and trying to figure out a way to get into the console ecosystem and and build what became the original PlayStation. Following a spell at Warthog Games, Gibson then moved to Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, where he joined the Evolution Studios team and would become a key part of the numerous popular racing series, including MotorStorm and Drive Club. Gibson was programmer on WRC4 and WRC Rally Evolved on PS2, as well as the popular PS3 launch game, MotorStorm, and the sequels Pacific Rift, Apocalypse, and RC. Uh, He was one of the programmers on Evolution's final game, the PS4 launch window game racing title Drive Club. So just a shout-out to a guy who plays a huge role and a very prominent part of PlayStation history, which I know this is an Xbox podcast, but when it's something like this, we're talking about something that matters a lot more than this brand or that brand it's we're just talking about a well-known well-regarded important figure who contributed to the games industry it doesn't matter if you made games for nintendo or sony or sega or whatever the case may be um you know if you contributed to the games industry if you're a notable name who who influenced and impacted the industry to this extent i think you deserve you deserve to be recognized and respected and uh you know just shout out to his family and wishing him them the best during their time of need and you know rest in peace mr gibson so thank you for your contributions to our our industry that we love this 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 wonderful entertainment medium we all enjoy and uh rest in peace man all right that's it for all of our opening news and things of that nature guys next we'll get into the main news segments but first i want to tell you about the games i've been playing this week but before i can even tell you about the games i've been playing this week i gotta tell you about what i've been eating so you know what we're going we're gonna to spin things on its head. We're not talking about pizza. We're not talking about this or that or something fancy or delicious or dinner food or something that you'd actually want to eat, like, I don't know, like barbecue ribs or fucking Jamaican jerk chicken. I don't fucking know. We're talking about snack food today. We're talking about the kind of stuff you put in a kid's lunchbox when you send them off to school. This is the battle, of course, of the cheese cracker snacks. We're talking Kellogg's Cheez-Its versus Pepperidge Farm or Campbell Soup Company's Goldfish. Cheez-Its versus Goldfish, let's go. So the reason I want to bring this up is because for some odd reason, I've been chowing down on a lot of Cheez-Its and Goldfish lately, which is weird because these are two snacks I I just don't buy as an adult. These are, you know, I I had Goldfish a fair amount as a child. I didn't have Cheez-Its a whole lot growing up. I don't know. It's like these are snacks I like from childhood, but I don't adore them. You know, like if I, if, if there were no health consequences and money wasn't a thing and I could just do whatever the fuck, whenever the fuck I would choose, you know, like Doritos over cheese. It's a hundred out of a hundred times. Like I don't, you know, I'll take, I'll take Pringles or some kind of potato chip or corn chip over like a cheese cracker any day. But I do think there's a time and a place for a cheese it or goldfish. And so I wanted to kind of scrutinize these two snacks a little bit more and kind of get some audience feedback on where we fall on this newly formed battle that I am proposing of the Cheez-It versus the Goldfish because I am firmly in the camp, always have been, and especially am to this day still a staunch believer that the Goldfish cracker is significantly superior to the Cheez-It cracker. Now, that's not to dis- that, you know, that's not to dismiss the uh, the the contributions and the in, in the value of the cheese it altogether. While I definitely didn't care for cheese it's as a kid, it was a snack I I would go out of my way to avoid because I didn't like them. It is a it is a snack that I eventually did grow to appreciate. I think in my family, the on the rare occasion when we did get cheese it's, it was always the white cheddar cheese it's, which is always like a secondary or tertiary flavor. It wasn't the primary classic cheddar cheese cheese it's, but I don't know. I liked those fine, you know, the the white cheddar cheese it's. I thought those were solid. 
Um, but I always still preferred just goldfish, any kind of goldfish, but especially like classic goldfish. You get the extreme ones with the extra flavoring, and that's fine, but just classic goldfish to me are so much better. Now, as I've gotten older, I've grown an appreciation for the Cheez-It, but in recent weeks, I was I was eating Cheez-Its, and, I, and, I, and it dawned on me. I was like, why the first of all, why the hell am I eating Cheez-Its? I don't eat these anymore. And then I was like, you know what? If I'm going to eat a cheese-based cracker snack made for fucking children, I might as well try the one that I like better. And so I got goldfish, and I was like, oh, damn, these are real. I forgot how good goldfish were because not only do I think they're just a little tastier, but I think goldfish are so much fun to eat because they have that kind of weird hollow thing where you can bite it on the side and you can kind of split it in two and more importantly the thing I love about goldfish and it's kind of weird maybe I shouldn't try to articulate this but I'm going to do it anyway the thing I love about goldfish is if you just eat a whole bunch of them they turn to mush and that mush is one of the very few foods well I will ever say this about it's kind of gross to say it but if you know you know I think if you've eaten goldfish you probably know what I'm talking about when you have enough goldfish in your mouth and you chew them all up until they're just mush that is a very flavorful and satisfying mush in a way that no other kind of mushy substance would be. Like, it's, it's kind of disgusting to describe your food as in a really delicious stage once you've chewed it up to high hell. But that's the weird thing about goldfish is they, they take on an equally impressive and fun to eat and delicious form once you make them go from crispy, crunchy crackers to mushy, bunched up globs of whatever the hell that is. And I think that's just so fun to eat. Whereas Cheez-Its, they're fun to eat, don't get me wrong, and you can find creative ways to eat them, but they don't they don't have a similar texture and mouthfeel if you try something similar. Cheez-Its are pretty much straightforward. You eat the Cheez-It as it exists. It tastes good, but it is what it is. The goldfish, I think it tastes better. There's more ways you can eat it. It's more fun to eat. It's more presentable. The little goldfish shape is really cute and, 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 and unique. So all around, I'm going to say Pepperidge Farm, owned by Campbell's Soup Company, their goldfish snack, vastly superior to Cheez-Its. Fuck you, Kellogg. So, I'm going to throw it to you guys. What do you think? Cheez-Its versus goldfish. That's it for what I've been eating this week, and I just want to just float that idea out there. Hear from the audience, see what you think. Write in, let me know. I hope goldfish win. All right, guys, that's it for what I've been eating. Now let's talk about the games I've been playing this week. And it might be boring to say, but it's true. It just is what it is. I've been playing the exact same two games this past week that I was playing last week. Black Ops 2 and Exo Primal. I, I don't know what to say. I'm a, I'm a little addicted. I'm forcing myself to stop on Black Ops 2 because even though it's been a lot of fun, we talked about last week, there's been a huge surge in the player base of all these classic Call of Duty titles because Activision or Xbox or whoever it is, based on what reporting you believe, has fixed the matchmaking servers and the populations of these old classic Call of Duty games have just come back from the dead. Um, it's been a lot of fun going back and reliving the glory days and playing Black Ops 2. Especially when you go online, there's like 12, 13,000 people playing. But I gotta stop because there's nothing that feels less productive than, let me put it this way. When I play Modern Warfare 2, like the most current Call of Duty, the, the, the new Call of Duty, when I play that, when I'm, it's like a Saturday afternoon, I'm just listening to a podcast and chilling out and playing some Modern Warfare 2 multiplayer. I feel bad because I'm like, I should be spending this time playing a game I haven't played and being productive. I should play like Mass Effect or one of the Yakuza games since I haven't beaten all those or you know, preparing for Starfield with something else. I don't know. But when I'm playing Modern Warfare 2, I'm just like, 
damn, this isn't the most effective use of my time, but I have a lot of fun and I can justify it by being like, well, it's the current Call of Duty. I'm, I'm working on season four right now. You know, I'm trying to unlock these skins for my guns. I'm trying to do the season four activities and festivities and the skins and the, the, the limited time events and playlists. It's like there's content to justify why I'm playing it, even though I shouldn't be. But when I go back and I play Black Ops 2 from almost 11 years ago, there's no justification. This is just like, dude, I, I know it's fun to relive the glory days. Black Ops 2 is a great game. The multiplayer is phenomenal. But this is just such a waste of time. I, I know I'm enjoying it, but it's like I'm half enjoying it. I'm half having the time of my life. And I'm half like being eaten alive by the idea that I'm just wasting what little free time I have on this planet playing a game that I played extensively 11 years ago today. And I'm like, I, I got to stop. I just got to stop. So it's that nagging feeling paired with the fact that the over the past couple of days, the, uh, the the number of modders and people just ruining the fucking game by modding the lobbies and fucking everything up has gotten worse and worse. Um, it was it was really not much of a problem a week and a half ago, and today it's a lot worse, uh, unfortunately. So the combination of like I'm tired of these fucking modders ruining the game, and also I, I really can't I can't justify playing this game has is it's driving me away from Black Ops. So it's been about three days since I played Black Ops Two. I'm putting it down. I'm saying no. I love this game. Rest in peace, King, but there's no reason why I need to be playing this right now. And so the other game I'm playing is Exoprimal because I, I do want to get a fair amount of time with this game in before I move on. I feel like now is such a good time because there's a little bit of a lull before we get to like Immortals of Avium and, and Starfield and all these things start to come out in Armored Core 6. So I'm, I'm trying to like take this lull and really indulge with what's going on with Game Pass right now. And um, I don't know, man. I... I was looking, I was playing a couple more hours of Exoprimal this weekend, trying to look for something to say, like something new to notice or say about it, but I just have, I just have so little to say about this game. I think it is a lot of fun. I think its core system is just a really good time, and I think you could spend two hours with Exoprimal, and you will have seen basically everything to see that this game has to offer. I try a little bit with the cutscenes, and then I'm immediately like, I don't give a shit about the story. I don't give a shit about the characters. None of that matters. And then the menus are like full of like season pass, battle pass, this pass, map, active base, database, logs, mission logs, this, that, customize, buy, purchase, unlock, grind, and like fuck all that. But then you just play the one and only game mode that the game has. And you drop into this PvPvE world where you just fight dinosaurs until the end where you fight each other. And it's fun. The moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is really fun. The shooting is really fun. The movement feels really good and fluid. And the idea of these, like, mech warriors in a future cyborg city versus dinosaurs teleporting out of, like, fucking time, port time warp portals is really, really stupid in the most fun in video game way, and I love it, and I adore it. So, Exoprimal, it is by no means a masterpiece or a game that I'm highly, highly recommending, but again, it's a game that I think would be much better served as free-to-play, but since we all have the blessing of Game Pass, we could just download it, give it a go, have a fun weekend or two with it, and move on with our lives, and so that's kind of what I've done with Exoprimal. I suspect I'll probably put another couple hours into this game, you know, maybe two or three hours into it, but then I'll delete it and move on with my life. It's a fun game. I think it's worth 10 hours of your life, and it's a it's a good little uh, bit of value for Game Pass subscribers, but it's nothing phenomenal, and it's nothing that's going to like win me over or stay lingering on my mind as I reflect on my favorite games of 2023 at the end of the year. 
but not every game should be that. Not every game needs to be that. And uh, Exoprimal is just a, a really fun shut off your brain and play with friends or play alone or whatever the fuck kind of multiplayer experience. So shout out to that. I don't have anything really new to add because I just I just didn't play anything else. I want to get back to some more Persona 5 before we kind of ramp up with Starfield and such coming out. So I'm going to try to get back into that this weekend. But, you know, whatever. It was a busy weekend. I went and saw Yellow Card. My boys are back. I'm so proud of them. I'm so happy. After after seven years, I, I, don't, I don't know. I really There was a part of me that really thought I'll probably never see Yellow Card live in concert ever again. And this past week, my boys were back together. They were in Tampa, Florida. I went out there with my buddy Hunter, and we saw the boys, Yellow Card, back together, and it was it was beautiful. It was so good to see them all on stage. Ryan, Ryan, Josh, and Sean, of course, and uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful. So shout out to Yellow Card, shout out to their new music, which is so, so good, and uh, shout out to Black Ops Two, which also came out the same year as Yellow Card's 2012 record, Southern Air, which fucking rocks. Southern Air is such a good album, so. All right, that's it for what I've been playing. You guys, let's take a big breather here, and then we'll jump into the news. What do you say? doesn't matter. I'm controlling the podcast, so that's what we're going to do. All right, so let's get back into the news, starting with the Q4 earnings report from Microsoft, talking about Xbox numbers for the fourth quarter, how they're doing, math, numbers, financial stuff. It's actually, I, I actually really enjoy this stuff, but let's just read through it first and then we'll talk. From VGC, Microsoft have reported relatively strong fourth quarter and full year fiscal year 23 sales for its Xbox division. For the fourth quarter ending in June 30th, 2023, the company said that gaming revenue increased $36 million or 1% compared to the corresponding period the prisical, uh, sorry, of the, <laughs> the previous fiscal year. Quarterly Xbox content and services revenue was up 5% year over year, driven by growth in third-party content and Game Pass but that was offset by 13% decline in hardware revenue due to lower volume of consoles sold. The quarterly gaming results fell short of the company's previous guidance. In April, Microsoft forecasted Xbox revenue growth in the mid to high single digits and Xbox content services revenue growth to the mid to low teens. Nevertheless, according to the independent industry analyst at Doom's Play, at, sorry, at Dom's Play, Microsoft's fourth quarter gaming sales totaled approximately $3.49 billion, the second highest ever for the Xbox division behind Q4 fiscal year 2021. Full year sales in the division of, of uh, approximately $15.47 billion were only bettered by my, during Microsoft's previous fiscal year. Quote, using quarterly sales growth of 1% for Microsoft uh, or Xbox, game, Microsoft's gaming division saw a $15.45 billion revenue uh, during the year ending in June 2023. It was $16.23 billion fiscal year 2022. Still, fiscal year 23 was its second best fiscal year ever. Now, following this news, there was an update because on Tuesday, Microsoft had an earnings call where CEO Satya Nadella claimed that Xbox set forth quarter records for monthly active users and Game Pass engagement. They like to talk about Game Pass engagement a lot to offset other things in Office But he said, quote, we set new fourth quarter highs for monthly active users driven by strength of con- strength off console as well as monthly active devices, he said. And we saw record fourth quarter engagement across Game Pass with hours played up to 22% year over year. So, all right, let's talk about this. This is technically, right, this sounds like good news on paper, but I think this is actually somewhat alarming news. And here's what I mean by that. So let's let's compare things. 2021 or fiscal year 2022, That's that means in the year 2021, that was the best 
that was the best fiscal year for Xbox. That was the best Q4 was at the end of fiscal year 2022, which is in summer of 2021. Or no, it should have began in summer 2021. Anyway, it was it was in 2021 fiscal year 22. That was their that was their best year. And they're saying this year is the second best year where they're seeing growth in a lot of ways, but it, it is so it's an increase over last year, but a decrease over two years ago, basically, is what it what it comes down to. And this is actually kind of bad because when you think about it, it's like 2020 and 2021 were such huge years for all of gaming because the pandemic and the lockdowns, everyone had nothing to do. People were sitting on cash. People were sitting at home with just time on their hands and no way of leaving the house or going anywhere. And so everyone played video games. People subscribed to streaming services and watched Netflix and played Xbox and subscribed to Game Pass and spent money on video games and spent time playing video games and everything video games did so, so well. It was just a huge boom. Everything flew off shelves. No one could buy a video game console anywhere because everyone was buying everything it was a great time for gaming and then in 2022 last year we saw things start to dive for a couple of reasons one because 2022 was the first real like non-pandemic year where everyone was like okay that was nice I'm ready to walk away from the TV for a little bit and get back outside. I want to go skydiving. I want to go bungee jumping. I want to go snorkeling. I want to do all the shit I couldn't do in 2020 and 2021. And so gaming took a bit of a hit last year where console sales started to slow down and time spent in, in on um, on platforms started to slow down and revenue and all these things started to slow down and user engagement. All these numbers started to decrease last year, although they were still quite strong. It, it seemed like the takeaway last year was... Because of the pandemic, gaming reached an all-time high, but now that things are starting to normalize a little bit, things aren't going back to pre-pandemic or worse than pre-pandemic numbers. They're still staying higher than they were pre-pandemic, but they're not as high as they were during the height of the pandemic, if that makes sense, which I think that makes perfect sense. It just goes to show that a lot more people started playing video games during the pandemic, which makes sense. And then it out of it came a lot of people who were already gamers stayed gamers, and a lot of people who weren't gamers had now become gamers. However, a lot of people either decreased the amount of time they played games or some people put away the hobby now that they could go back outside and touch grass again. So that's kind of what we learned last year. So for this year's numbers, we're in a different position because, well, another thing to keep in mind for Xbox last year was that Xbox had a terrible year last year in terms of first party output. There weren't a whole lot of games to really sell the Xbox brand and to make people want to jump for Xbox last year. So where are we this year? Well, this year so far, I'd say Xbox's first party output situation. It's better than last year, but it's not much better, or at least not yet. Starfield and Forza will hopefully turn things around. But so far, we haven't gotten there quite yet, although I'm sure people are already buying Xboxes in anticipation of Starfield. So some of that should be a little bit better. But this year is another normal year. We're in a post-pandemic world where things are quote-unquote normal again. The differentiating factor this year, I think, is that inflation is super high. The economy is rough globally. You know, global economy is rough. Like, people are losing jobs or afraid of worsening economic conditions and afraid to lose their jobs. And I think you're seeing people tighten up a lot on their spending. A lot of a lot of people are getting a little a little a little uh, more conservative with their spending right now. And so you might ex expect that to impact gaming. The, the thing is it's usually during economic hardship. That's when things like gaming do super well because gaming is relatively cheap. It's a lot cheaper to stay at home and play Xbox and spend a little bit of money on Xbox than it is to take the whole family out to Walt Disney World for a summer vacation 
recession. So generally, like if you look at like the 2008 recession, stuff like that, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, the, these things did really well while a lot of other things suffered because it's a relatively attainable, uh, doable and affordable form of entertainment and escapism during hardship. So I don't expect the economic conditions to too badly affect Xbox in in some ways that might even help it. But I want to just set the stage with all of those qualifiers, all that historical context before we talk about these numbers. So now we look at the numbers again, where they had revenue increase of 1% and service content services revenue or in, um, revenue in, uh, of 5% increase year over year. So the 1% revenue increase, they were expecting the analysts uh, in, in the forecasts internally were a somewhere around 5, 7, 8% increase and they hit 1%. So that's not, that's not great. And then the content services forecast was supposed to be around 12, 14, 15%. And they hit 5%. So those are bad. Those are like really off. And so in terms of their own measurements and their own expectations, Xbox fell short of the mark. Xbox did not do well. Um, and in addition to that, hardware had a 13% decline, which is really bad. And I think that's just due to, again, ongoing issues with first-party lineup just not being all that. Because PlayStation uh, revenue or console sales are really, really good. They're smashing previous year numbers on PlayStation 5s. So I don't think availability on consoles is the issue anymore. I think right now that just has to do with games. And I think Starfield will turn that around. I think starting in fiscal year 24, quarter 1, beginning this month, I think you'll see... You know, with Starfield and Forts and all that coming up, for the rest of this year, Xbox hardware sales are going to shoot up a lot. But until then, yeah, Xbox hardware sales have been disappointing. So everything's been kind of trending upwards, mostly with the exception of console hardware, which is not good. Um, but it's it's at a slower clip than they expected. And then you look at Sachi Nadella's quotes, and he's talking about how engagement with Game Pass hours has gone up 22% year over year. Well, we'll think about that. If engagement with Game Pass has gone up 22% year over year, but content service spending and revenue overall is barely moved up at all, you know, engagement is shooting up well past just overall revenue and content uh, spending and all that. What it means is more people are spending time with Xbox engaging on the platform, but spending less money, which tells you people are subscribed to Game Pass, playing Xbox, playing Game Pass, but... Not a whole lot of people are buying Xboxes and joining the party, and people who are already on Xbox are maintaining Game Pass subscriptions but not buying games additionally. So that is kind of what these numbers reflect. And even then, like they are trending upwards, which is a good thing, but not as not as quickly and as high as they anticipated or or expect to be trending. And Microsoft's usually pretty good about its forecasting. They they can't lie on these things. They're not it, it would be illegal for them to lie about these numbers and to and make these false claims and false um um uh false measurements and and, and goals and all these things. So like they they're telling the truth here. So for this to have fall generally they're pretty good about these internal measurements and and trying to set expectations and all this and hitting close to that mark. So for them to be this far off off the mark says that Xbox is underperforming currently. And again, I think we could be talking about a totally different situation in three months when we talk about Q1 fiscal year 24 um, after Starfield is out and once we're getting Forza and all that shit. I think we could see a completely different 360 type story, not Xbox 360, but like, you know, I guess more like a 180 where it just turns around completely 
and uh, we start to see Xboxes flying off the shelf, tons of new Game Pass subscribers, tons, tons of new um, uh, revenue from people buying Starfield and buying Forza and spending money in these ecosystems and DLCs and things like that. And so, I don't know, I think I think we're about to see this trend upward and, and probably stay upward as Xbox starts to ameliorate their content issue, their, their first-party output issue um, with all these games coming out in 2024 and at the end of this year. But until then... I don't know. These numbers don't look super hot, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm reading here. Not bad. These aren't. These aren't terrible. It's not like Xbox is tanking. It's doom and gloom. I mean, hey, positive revenue growth is is a good thing. But again, if you're Microsoft, you want you want to see more substantial growth than this, and they're not seeing it right now. So, it, it all comes down to the games. And when they have really good games to sell the platform and sell the consumer, I think that will turn the ship around. And it looks like they're about to be there. So this might be. The last somewhat underwhelming look at a, fis- a fiscal quarter for Xbox for a long time, but you know whatever. It's Xbox. Don't hold your breath. They, they could they could royally fuck it up. Anything could get delayed or come out broken or be a disappointment. It's uh you know don't don't trust too much in, in Xbox here. Uh, but yeah, I mean again, positive numbers are positive numbers. But you know read between the lines a little bit. I don't think these numbers are as glowing as they might seem at surface level. Is all I'm saying. But overall. I mean, on a personal level, I don't care. I just, I, I'm happy with my Xbox. I like Xbox, but, you know, trying to analyze it could be better. All right, let's talk about Ubisoft for like the third time this podcast. What's going on here? All right, from VGC, Ubisoft CEO Yves Gaumont has said that Microsoft's bid to acquire Activision Blizzard can be viewed as a sign that Ubisoft is on the right track with its current business strategy. During Ubisoft's first quarter earnings call on Thursday, look at that, we're just talking about more financial reports, Gilmont said, was asked if he thinks Activision's deal with Microsoft will be a catalyst for further mergers and acquisitions activity in the space. And if so, what is his view on the remaining independent in, uh, independent in an industry that's consolidating? He says, quote, I think it's good news that the transaction can go through because it's really showing the power of IP and where the industry is going. So there's a lot of opportunities, too, in the future for all companies, he replied. And that's also showing the value of IP and how it can be on console and PC, and but not only that, but on mobile and becoming a more worldwide brand. When we say worldwide, it's really everywhere in the world, and that's a fantastic opportunity. And Microsoft is saying that the mobile part of Activision deal is important to them, Gilmont continues. So all the investment we are making in a, strong, uh, in a stronger mobile space are all in line with what you know with all that what xbox is looking at with activision so all those elements will help the value of our company to grow and in january ubisoft said that it canceled its three unannounced games and moved on to double down on bigger ips like assassin's creed as well as live service games the company said that it was facing major challenges as the industry continues to shift towards mega brands and long-lasting games that can reach players across the globe across platforms and business models it said that it spent the last four years attempting to adapt its biggest brands and these converging trends and while the games in this while the games from this investment phase have yet to be released, Ubisoft expects them to bear fruit in the coming years. Talking about games like X Defy and so on. So, all right, let's get into this. So, basically, Yves Gilman is saying, look at why Xbox wants Activision and the fact that this deal has been approved to go through. This is a good news for us because what has Activision got going for it? Well, it's got Call of Duty, which is a huge IP. And Microsoft has said that they're explicitly interested in this deal predominantly for mobile purposes, which is another area where uh, Activision dominates because they got a really popular uh, or Diablo game. They got a really popular Call of Duty game and they own King, which is like Candy Crush and all the biggest mobile games. So the fact that that is so attractive to Microsoft and it will make them spend upwards of 70 billion dollars and will, you know, set the world on fire with mergers and acquisitions within our industry shows that Ubisoft is in a good place. Because when you look at Ubisoft, what he's basically saying is, 
we're trying to position ourselves to be more like what Activision has already done to make themselves so attractive to Xbox, whether intentionally or not. Because you look at Ubisoft, we're doubling down on our big IP, Far Cry. Uh, Assassin's Creed, etc. And then he's saying, we're trying to get more into these games as a service type platform businesses that are super lucrative and super sticky that everyone wants. You know, obviously Activision has uh, Call of Duty Mobile and Call of Duty Warzone and stuff like that, that, that does so well for them. Well, Activision's trying to do the same thing because they're trying to build this Ubisoft Infinity project where it's like a Ubisoft plat or it's like a, uh, sorry, Assassin's Creed platform as well as X Defiant, which is going to be their first person shooter games as a service type game. So as they continue to invest in these things and they got Assassin's Creed mobile games on the way and a Division mobile game, which is going to be a games as a service as well and a free to play Division game that's coming to consoles as well. So, you know, they, they have all these things in the works. They're like, it's big IP, it's games as a service, it's mobile forward. So everything we're doing, everything we're investing in as Ubisoft is pretty much in line with what Activision's already been excelling at. And those are the things that made Activision look so you know, lucrative and in, 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 in mouthwatering to Microsoft in the first place. So what Gilmont is basically saying is, if that is the trend the industry is heading in, is that if that is what big buyers are looking for, I think we're positioning Ubisoft in a way that makes us look quite attractive. So couple things here. Uh, Ubisoft is trying to compete in the similar spaces as companies like Activision, which we already knew and they've always been doing anyway. So that, that part's not new. But he's basically teasing that like, hey, I'm not saying come acquire us, but also I am saying like if someone out there has a lot of money and is looking to acquire a big publisher, I'm just saying we have all the attractive features that Activision has going on over here at Ubisoft. So maybe you want to look our way. And that's basically what Gilmon is saying. He's saying to investors like, hey, if anyone here is interested in selling off the company or merging, then we are already positioned or on our way to positioning ourselves in a way that would be very attractive. Should someone like an Apple or uh, a Google or a Sony or someone try and acquire Ubisoft or God forbid Microsoft try and acquire Ubisoft. So that's basically what he's saying. He's basically saying that Ubisoft is for sale. Wink, wink. Maybe, I don't know, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but uh, we, we sure are in a position to be the thing that you want. If what you want is similar to why Microsoft wanted Activision. So I hope you like Division uh, Mobile and Assassin's Creed Infinity and uh, X Defiant. Instead of Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, they got Raving Rabbids, which is basically just minions. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. And uh, so there's Gilmont. Same we's gotta say. And then it's it's a shorter news week. We only got one other news story really to get into here. So let's. Uh, I thought this is, this is very different. This is unlike anything we've ever really talked about on the show. So let's get into this. I don't really know what we'll say on this. So I'm excited to get in and see how it goes. From VGC, retro game streaming service AntStream Arcade is now available on Xbox, and according to its head, this is the large part down. This is in large part owed to Xbox boss Phil Spencer's involvement. The service, which lets players access a streaming library of over 1,400 retro games, is now available as a native app on Xbox Series X, S, and Xbox One. The full list of games is available online and can be looked at and currently stands at 1,470 games, including 200-plus Amiga games, nearly 300 arcade games, 350-plus C64 games, Commodore 64 for those who need it spelled out, 50-plus Mega Drive games, 40-plus SNES games, and 350-plus ZX Spectrum games. Games on the service include Mortal Kombat, Metal Slug X, Earthworm Jim, Space Invaders, R-Type, and Robotron 2084. 
While AntStream Arcade is available on PC and mobile, the Xbox version is a separate product that users will have to create a separate account for. Quote, we're looking into an account linking for future part of our big project vision update towards the end of the year, the official AntStream Twitter account stated. Players can either buy a year's subscription for $30 US or or a lifetime pass for $80 US. In an interview with Xbox Expansion Pass podcast, as spotted by Pure Xbox, AntStream Studio head Mike Ra- Rose, 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 said that the creation of the Xbox app was mainly due to the involvement of Xbox boss Phil Spencer, saying, quote, My background has been in running studios and making AAA games for the last 23 years. I set up a London Xbox development studio back in 2012 and had a good relationship with a large number of Xbox people, including Phil. When I went to AntStream, a lot of pe- a lot of the focus had been on trying to get th- onto things like smart TVs and consoles, and I said, we need to get where the games are. So I got in touch with Phil, and I had a meeting with him, and he loves game preservation, so uh, we talked a lot about it, but... When you see him and you're on a one-to-one with him, he's extremely passionate about it. He's essentially giving us the go, gave us the go-ahead to get to work on Xbox. And so we spent the last year getting our tech in place, optimizing the code so that it can run on Xbox. Without this and without the support of Phil Spencer and his team, it may never have come over. But hey, yeah, they're they're super supportive of Antstream coming to Xbox. They get the vision. And for Xbox players, there's over 1,400 games landing on their day one. You're not going to like them all, but there's enough there that you're probably going to keep playing for 10 years. So, yeah, I think this is pretty fucking cool. Um, uh, Xbox, if you're listening, if you're trying to get another big old uh, value point into Game Pass, not that Game Pass needs one because it has so many fucking included products and benefits and features, um, adding this into Game Pass would be another big get, a subscription into this for Game Pass Ultimate subscribers. But yeah, I think this is cool. It's weird that if you already have a subscription to the PC or the mobile version of AntStream Arcade, um, it's not the same as having the Xbox One. I don't know why that is, and to be completely frank, I don't know anything about AntStream until you know until the story came out. I didn't, I never knew anything about it. But it is a cool idea that it's this library of 1400 plus arcade games and old retro games and you can just subscribe to it annually or buy an unlimited access subscription to it and presumably over time games will come in and out or maybe they'll add games to it i don't i don't know that because it's a subscription service i i gotta think that eventually they're gonna add more to it but i'm gonna be honest i would like to check this out i think this is a really fun idea and i love to see how well the games are optimized and in you know how how well these look and run on xbox because this is a this is a great idea i think there's a lot of potential for an xbox game pass type subscription themed around arcade games and classic home console games because these are the kinds of games that need to be preserved and it's it's increasingly weird to me that xbox is not only the best place the, the best of the main platforms as far as video game preservation of their own ecosystem, their own library, but it's now increasingly becoming this really excellent place for game preservation for these consoles and, and in arcade games and things that came well before Xbox as a brand even existed. It's kind of crazy to think about it. Like PlayStation does not do well with the game preservation, the backwards compatibility. Nintendo does okay sometimes on it. They're, I think right now they're doing a pretty decent job with their Switch Online pass that they do. But Xbox is not only doing a great job with Xbox's past and history, but also now having, through this, a bunch of old arcade games and Amiga games and Mega Drive games all included in the subscription. So I think this is freaking awesome. It's very much in line with Phil Spencer and his administration of Xbox's mentality of, uh, bringing games forward and giving players access to as many games as possible and just having this this 
ecosystem where you can just have everything and anything all together in one place forever and always. Kind of like how you get on Steam and other PC platforms, but for the home console. And I think this is very much in line with Xbox. It's a great added value and it's a great get. I think 80 bucks for a lifetime subscription is a really solid deal. I think 30 bucks a year, if you want to go that route, is a fun way to maybe try it for a year, see if it's your thing. I do wish there was kind of like a one-month option, but I kind of also understand why not, because it would be so tempting for so many people to pay, I don't know, five, six bucks for one month, dick around with it, and never play it again. You might as well get that that $30, because it's low enough hanging fruit that you can get people in, and then it's like, hey, you get a whole year access, so... I don't know, maybe it's a little bit, they probably have the data and the research to show that that's a better way to do the subscription tiers, but I don't know, I think this is cool, I actually would like to check it out, and uh, shout out to Phil and the team at Antstream Arcade for making this a possibility, because now Xbox just became an even better place for the preservations of game gaming, where it was already a, a pretty solid one, so I don't know, I think this sounds awesome, so more stuff like this would be great, if we could add this into Game Pass Ultimate, that'd be also pretty fucking cool, but... I don't know that people really care that much about this kind of thing. It's it's maybe more of like a, a thing for like diehard retro gamers and, and purists and preservationists. But I think general consumers probably don't care too much about this. So maybe it's not really a big a worthy investment for Xbox. But anyway, that's it for all of our big news this week, guys. It's a short news week, but uh, we do have a couple of important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, not important enough to warn their own discussion. So let's fly through these real quick. First one here is a it's disappointing news. Tencent, the Chinese tech conglomerate massive corporation has purchased a majority shareholder of uh, Techland the the studio behind Dying Light the news was announced this past week by Powit Marchuka who found uh, who founded the Polish game studio Techland back in 1991 Marchuka who has remained the CEO of the company said that the studio will remain or will retain full ownership of its IP and creative freedom following the move saying quote we dream of turning Dying Light into an ultimate zombie game experience for players worldwide providing you with multiple astonishing adventures and pushing the boundaries of solo and online modes to a totally new level. Our open world action RPG fantasy setting has already shaped up to become something truly special. And the goal here is to make sure that we can uh, make those expectations for our first new IP in almost a decade. So they want to make something outside of, of uh, dying light. Can we make it? Can we make these dreams come true? Yes, we can. But to realize it in the best way possible, the boldest dreams can only achieve by working side by side with like-minded friends and strong partners who share the same viv- uh, vision, passion, and willingness to back up th- with their knowledge, experience, and capabilities. Which is why today I'm happy to announce the partnership with Tencent, who are in the process of becoming Techland's majority sh- shareholder. Teaming up with Tencent will allow us to move full speed ahead on the execution of, of the vision for our, our new games, as well as the execution of Uyghur Muslims, who the communist Chinese government opposes. We have chosen an ally and who has already partnered with some of the world's finest video game companies and helped them to reach new heights while respecting their ways of doing things so long as they don't go against the grain and say things like, Taiwan is a real country. We will retain full ownership of our IP, maintain creative freedom, and continue to operate in ways that we believe is right. I'm also going to continue serving as the studio's CEO. Well, Mr. Uh, Marchuka, sorry if I'm butchering your last name, uh, I gotta say, as someone who really likes the first Dying Light game and still hasn't played Dying Light 2, but will get around to it and is looking forward to one day playing it, I have a lot of respect for you and your team. You guys make excellent video games and uh, you, you do some really good work. Um, really, really good shit there. Um, I hope you guys have a strong future where you're able to continue to make great games, but also uh, I just have lost so much fucking respect for you and think so little of this decision and think it just makes you look like weak, lame-ass cowards to succumb to the financial power of 
a communist corporation that wants to actively set humanity and social uh, life back a hundred years and continue to I don't know postulate that and, and perpetuate that by taking money so you can make more fucking video games that at the end of the day are not nearly as important as human rights is sad and astonishing and pathetic because there's just so much fucking money to go around this industry and honestly if you can't find people who are willing to invest in your studio and maybe who want to buy a majority share buy shares at all or maybe acquire you um, outside of communist chinese corporations then maybe that says more about you guys as as business operators and owners and, and less so about um, the opportunities that exist out there in our in, in our industry or in this industry it's I shouldn't say my industry because unfortunately I don't work in the games industry but uh, yeah I mean this is this is sad this is I think this is weak it's it's lame as hell it's always disappointing to see really talented really uh, really skilled people who make wonderful video games and wonderful products um, just sell out to objectively evil forces um, so yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a million times on the show. We'll let it. I will let it go and move on for now. But yeah, this is this is shit news, and uh, it, it's one of those things. I just I have to lose. I have no choice but to just lose a great amount of respect and appreciation for Techland and and the powers that be that allowed this deal to happen. Although, if you're publicly traded, there's not a whole lot you can control. If someone wants to just go up and buy your shares, there's not a whole lot you you can do there. I just I don't know, man. I just I just think it's sad to come out oh we just want to perpetuate our we just want to come out and make our great games and, and be creative and have autonomy and do all these awesome things and we found a wonderful partner shut up dude so lame anyway let's move on all right worse than tencent we got some other bad news here from vgc shrek will return to console gaming for the first time in over a decade with a newly announced dreamworks all-star kart racing video game featuring characters from a variety of dreamworks movies including shrek trolls i can't believe this is the second time we've mentioned dreamworks trolls in this podcast kung fu panda the boss baby madagascar how to train your dragon Puss in Boots, and The Bad Guys. The game will be published by Game Mill Entertainment and developed by Bamtang Games, both of which are responsible for recent Nickelodeon kart racing games. It will also be released on Xbox One, Series S, Series X, and PC, but no release window has been confirmed as of yet. DreamWorks All-Star Kart Racing will be available in a standard edition for $40, as well as a digital deluxe edition for $50. The digital deluxe edition will include two exclusive kart racers and two exclusive characters. Sorry, two exclusive carts and two exclusive characters. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about Sea of Thieves. Season 10 of Sea of Thieves has been delayed until October. The company said in a blog post that the update needs a couple extra months uh, to work out all the systems and the open world multiplayer pirate game needs a little bit more time in the oven with this new seasonal content. Season 9 launched back in March, and according to the FAQ on the website for the game, each season is typically expected to only last around three months or so. So, yeah, a little bit of a delay, but... Oh, well. Next up, VGC reports CD Projekt Red have announced that they are laying off nearly 10% of the staff in the coming months. As an originally up, uh, sorry, as an organizational update message posted on the studio's official website, CD Projekt Red CEO Adam Kaczynski stated that the company wants to have the teams uh, wants to have teams that are more agile and more effective. At, after analyzing the teams and the company's, uh, the decision has been made that some are no longer needed. We've carefully assessed all teams in the company in terms of their expect expected contributions to the delivery of our strategy, Klinsky writes. There's no easy way to say this, but today we are overstaffed. 
We have talented people on board who are finishing their tasks, and based on current and expected projects needed, uh, we already know we don't have other opportunities for them in the next year. The outcome is the studio is parting ways with about 100 people, which is roughly 9% of the entire team. This will not be immediate, and some employees will get uh, will get to go as late as Q1 2024, but in the spirit of transparency, we've chosen to share the information now. We want the team members to have ample time and process to adjust and to change. We've also made sure that everyone is offered a comprehensive severance package. In May, CD Projekt Red announced that they had laid off 29 employees after uh, rescoping its Witcher spinoff game project Sirius. Layoffs mostly impacted developers at Molasses Flood, the American studio behind Flame in the Flood, which CD Projekt Red or CD Projekt acquired back in 2021. So, of course, thoughts with all those affected by the uh, by the uh, layoffs. It always sucks to see a corporation that um, you know isn't agile and efficient enough to pivot and keep everyone in their jobs, and it's just a little inefficient and bloated and has to make people lose their jobs um, when when projects are in a flux state or when things kind of shift or times get tough or whatever the case may be. So this is shitty and sad to see. Um, so of course, you know, thoughts with everyone affected. It is cool that they were given a shit ton of time um, in advance to be notified of this and in severance packages, of course, but I don't know. They're entitled to that stuff anyway. And I just feel like it's, it's the very least you could do. I don't know. It's never, I, it's hard for me to ever feel any kind of remorse or sympathy for a company that's laying people off. Although I understand sometimes that's what you have to do to keep the boat afloat, but I just doubt that that's the case for CD project. So thoughts with those affected last one here. Another, hopefully this isn't uh yeah, this is, this isn't sad news. All, all the other ones have been disappointing news, but this is just positive. Another new Xbox series S and X wireless controller seemingly leaked ahead of an official announcement. According to D labs or day labs, uh, member Billy Bill Coon, who guy who keeps, leaking stuff the new controller will be called storm cloud vapor sounds cool the controller which has a code uh which had the code name jimez according to billy bilkin uh has set for a release on august 8th so we'll get that announcement of this controller probably in the next couple days however the stress is that the date might change as is the case with a certain controller released this year as is the case with certain controllers released this year. Huh, I wonder what that means. The controller is set to be priced at $70 US. So I don't know if this is, I mean, that sounds like just a different color controller, but you know, cause at that price point, $70 it suggests it's a standard Xbox controller, no added special features or anything like that. But I'll be interested to see if this, I don't know, is maybe a tie in for some game that's supposed to come out. I don't know who does Microsoft have a marketing deal with this fall. Um, other than their first party stuff, I'm trying to think what that could be. I don't know, in relation to, or maybe it's just, maybe it's just a random ass controller. I don't know. Uh, with a name like uh, Storm Cloud Vapor, I'm thinking of like some like grayish black kind of like charcoal color, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It sounds interesting. So that's going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. Thank you for making it along to the end. If you made it along to the end, you know it's now time for the best part of the podcast. The comments, the shout-outs, the questions, the thoughts and feelings that come from none other than YouTube.com slash Xbox on Podcast. If you want to leave a comment, you go to YouTube.com slash Xbox Podcast or at Xbox on Podcast at YouTube. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and you drop a comment. You can say anything you want in the world. You can totally rip me apart, tear me apart, call me a socialist, communist, capitalist, environmentalist, or you can talk me up and say, Jesse, you're so good at talking about Xbox, they should make they should make a whole fucking line of colognes based around you baby because you smell like shit and i'll be like thank you so much for the kind words and we'll read the comments and we'll all giggle and laugh and think about it but uh 
shout out to the uh, one, two, three, four, five, seven commenters we got this week. So we got a decent amount of comments to get through. Happy to be back. Happy to be doing the comments. My favorite part of the show. Let's get right into it. Tumor, T-W-O-M-U-R, Tumor. That's not a very nice name. Tumor writes in and says, bro, hell yeah. I was just recommended your most recent episode, and you've been doing this shit for four years. That is crazy good shit, man. Uh, This is a comment that you left on episode one of the podcast. So thank you for writing in, uh, Tumor. (laughs) Uh, Appreciate you checking out the show. I hope you liked it, and I hope you stick around. Uh, It's good to have you here, and look forward to to hopefully seeing more more of you in the future. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Uh, Next up, let's talk about UFOs. Temple Knight writes in again. I just love Temple Knight. Can't get enough of him this week. He says, it's been publicly sworn before U.S. Congress as of today, July 26, that non-human advanced spacecraft have been recovered along with bio, sorry, bio, biologics. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jesse. Yeah, so I, I've been following this a little bit. I saw that that U.S. Congress two-and-a-half-hour meeting uh, where they, they all the news outlets streamed it, and they were talking about basically like, what happened and and basically it's weird because i feel like more and more in recent years there's just been all this like i don't know, like different departments of the u.s government have been talking more and more about unidentified flying objects uh other sentient life that is not earth found and technologies that we can't scientifically explain that just don't seem very earth-like have been discovered, spotted, seen, traces left behind, questions that can't be answered. And we're talking more and more about this than ever before. And I find it, of course, unsettling. Like, who wouldn't be a little unsettled by this? But also kind of awesome because the way I see it right now is like our world is headed for uh, assured destruction. And in our current state, I feel like that destruction is going to come via way of like, some fucking California tech company creating an AI that will fuck everything up or like communist China, like fucking EMP striking the Western world and, and, and just kind of taking us out. So like, I don't know, like those things, I I think about those things. I'm like, they could happen, but it's kind of fucking lame. Like how lame would it be? Is like, if we got destroyed by China or if we had like world war three took place because the U S can't stop fucking funding war and keeps giving all the taxpayer dollars to fucking Ukraine and Russia and perpetuating wars. And then North Korea gets involved and the nukes get launched and that's the end of it. Like how fucking lame if, if the world ends, you know, I'm thinking about this a lot. I just watched Oppenheimer this week. I'm thinking about, the war in Ukraine, how insanely senseless it is and how the U.S. just won't fucking mind their own business and stop sending all the guns and weapons and bombs when they really need to just stay the fuck out of it. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, hmm, how pathetic would it be if the end of the world ends up being that that predictable thing that we've all just been fearing and talking about for like what is it like 50 fucking years at this point like it's 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 the nukes it's the cold you know it's it's someone's gonna launch the fucking well i guess longer than 50 years 60 years whatever 70 god what 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 year are we talking about <laughs> i mean we've been talking about this shit for so long it's been everyone's fear ever since the introduction of the nuclear weapon right it's like the world is going mankind is going to destroy itself something united states china north korea russia some combination of those four countries are going to fuck it up for everyone. I'm telling you now. And 
it's just so sad and pathetic to think that like that's how the world's going to end. And so when I think about like unidentified flying objects, aliens, like life form from another planet, from another solar system, for all we know, like we don't, we don't fucking know. That's exciting to me because I'm like, okay, even if the aliens, you know, come down and they have technologies and and weaponry and and, and just like science that's beyond our tiny puny human brain comprehension and just it, it they completely melt us and conquer us and obliterate us it's like at least that's so much fucking cooler to go out like hg wells war of the world style than to go out with the fucking pedantic bullshit petty predictable some fucking cocksucker in, in the u.s presidency or some like oversized child in russia press the big red button because they're a little petty asshole and then we all die and suffer as a result of it like that is so much lamer than the fucking aliens coming down and and glassing planets and taking over and mining us for resources whatever the hell it is you know it's like earth like water is lost on their home planet and so now they're coming to mine the earth of the water from the oceans and to take it back to their planet and i i love that shit man that's so much cooler than the EMPs. Fuck you, U.S. Fuck you, China. Fuck you, Russia. You guys suck. I'm. I now pledge allegiance to the aliens. You guys have my utmost respect. Uh, as so long as you're not using nuclear warheads, because that would be such a fucking Ryan Johnson sub- subversion of expectations boner kill. If they're like, oh, we also just use nuclear weapons. Surprise, because uh, that that would also suck. But anyway, um, all joking aside, no. I mean, I think this is. I think it's crazy, man. I, I, I don't not to get like too political or philosophical or to impose too much of my beliefs, but I don't know. I, I am a very uneducated, very stupid person, but who is very fascinated and curious by science and space exploration and other planets and life outside of the earth. I find it impossible to believe that earth is the only place fit for life and that, you know, there aren't other solar systems and other planets where there is, where there is life that is viable. And we don't know what that life looks like. And are they some kind of, you know, it's, it's, our minds have been so, have been so polluted by decades and decades of science fiction novels and movies that have told us, well, this is what other life form is like. They're like these things that look like aliens, but they're also kind of humanoid, but it's like, I don't know. We don't know that they're fucking humanoid. They could be nothing like humans. They could be, they, they might not have limbs. They might be more like ethereal. They might, I don't know. We don't know anything about these things, but it's just so crazy to think that there's probably life out there somewhere else. And it just stands to reason that while we've been here for hundreds of thousands of years throwing our dicks around, throwing sticks and stones and bombing one another and putting people in camps because of their religion or their skin color, that someone out there on another planet in another, in another solar system and another galaxy is out there like, yeah, we're not going to like fucking sit here and like set humanity back another 30 years, bitching and moaning about like fucking women's rights and whether or not people should be able to use certain restrooms because that shit's just holding people back. And instead of, trying to control people's lives and worry about meaningless shit that doesn't affect us. We should focus on things like, I don't know, scientific research and study and investing in uh, new forms of energy and transportation instead of just like trying to tell women what they can and can't do. So I don't know. It's just like, it, it stands to reason humanity is so fucking stupid and we're so good at stepping on our own feet and getting in our way that it just stands to reason that there's like, there's gotta be a life form out there. That's just so much better than we are. And so I don't know. That's so cool to think that 
someone somewhere on this planet has come in contact with them. We've observed them. We've seen them. We've seen, we've seen them in unidentified flying objects that we can't explain because the science of how they're able to control and the speed at which they can move and the distance at which they can travel and the time in which they can do it is just unexplainable using our understanding of technology, our understanding of physics, our understanding of, of just everything, of mechanics and, and, and science to the fullest extent of our knowledge thus far. And I just, I don't know, I think about that and it's like, it's so exciting. I don't know. It's so exciting, man. Um, it is terrifying, but it's exciting. Um, worst case scenario, it, you know, it's the, the alternate thing everyone brings up where it's like, do the Chinese have some technology that we Americans aren't aware of, but we have the most, but we still, we're so hell bent on keeping Americans poor and fucked by taking all their tax dollars and investing in the military. There's no way the Chinese have some technology or spaceship or some shit that we don't have. I mean, if it turns out that it is just like some weird, government or military like technology from another nation that the u.s doesn't know about that'll be so disappointing that's like right back there with the fucking nuclear war thing where it's like oh man this just means more guns and violence and more fucking lockheed martin stock prices rising and shit while while we all wait here and pray to god that the war of the worlds takes place sooner rather than later i don't know so i i I guess that's incoherent and there's nothing really good to glean from it but i think it's fucking cool I think it's exciting, and but I also last thing I'll say before we move on, also a little cognizant of uh, of of the argument where people are like, why would the government suddenly be like, yeah, we're willing to talk, we're willing to talk about extraterrestrials and unidentified flying objects and in, in, in other life um, outside of Earth, we're willing to to spill the beans and talk about that a little bit more and and admit. That there have been sightings and there have been unexplained phenomenon and we found biomatter that is not Earth uh, related and that we can't explain. Why are they willing to talk about that now? Like, what what are they trying to distract us from? <laughs> that now is the time where they're like, yeah, let's fucking do it. So that's the other thing is like, as, as someone who just, I, I mean, I guess this is the most authentically American thing I could say, but as someone who just cannot trust their government to, for, you know, for shit. I, I can't help but wonder, like, why, why are they okay with talking about this stuff now? Makes me a little weary, to be quite honest. But, I don't know. It's, it's exciting. It's interesting. And um, I, I'm, they, they just did the hearing today. So, I'm actually – or, or the, the convening today. So, I'm actually excited to um, follow up with this in the coming days and, and read some, like, articles from people who actually are intelligible and, and see what people have to say and think to kind of expand my understanding of this. But, I don't know. It's – it's crazy. It's 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 hard to think about, man, because we're so we're so fucking consumed all day, every day. Like this morning, I was watching the Samsung event where they were showing off the new Galaxy Z Fold Five and Z Flip Five, and I'm like, we all spent all day like obsessed with like, oh, technology is advancing rapidly. The new iPhone has slightly thinner bezels and a USB C port. It's like all this kind of iterative bullshit that doesn't actually mean anything. But somewhere out there, there's like, there's like fucking like societies that have technology that could just like uh, teleport you across dimensions and, and, and travel you from one dimension to another in, in the snap of a finger, like stuff that we see in Marvel movies and accept that science fiction is like reality in other parts of the world. I don't fucking know. It's crazy to think about, but 
I'm here for it, man. I want to I want to see more. Let's, let's, so let's do it. All right, let's talk about Xbox Live, rebranding, Game Pass, all that stuff from last week. We got a couple comments about it, so we'll get back on topic with games here. Mr. Malg writes in says, I think Xbox Live Gold rebranding to Game Pass Core makes sense to us gamers. But will it be but it will be confusing to casuals and parents. I can see why so many people are upset about Game Pass Core having online multiplayer, but Game Pass Console doesn't. They both have the Game Pass now uh, n- name now and over on PlayStation side of things, all three tiers of PS Plus have online multiplayer, but maybe they should follow a similar system, but call each tier Game Pass Core, Game Pass Pro, and Game Pass Elite. I actually like that naming structure a lot more that you have there, Mr. Mag. I think Game Pass Core, Pro, and Elite is a really fun structure. It's like an homage back to earlier Xbox uh, naming conventions, while also uh, I think the the what we have can 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 fit into that. However, again, I'm just going to stand by it. I, I understand that all the tiers of PlayStation have online multiplayer, but I'm going to stand by what I'm saying. I think Xbox has the market research to show that there there's demand for people who want to play games online but don't necessarily need Game Pass, and then there's demand for people who want Game Pass but don't necessarily want to play online, and then there is demand for people who want both, and that is what this is designed to do. And I think it makes sense. We can argue about the the names they chose to go with or the ways they structure the tiers in terms of like the way they like which one they put first, which one they put second and and why one is one dollar more and one's one dollar less. But I think it makes sense. Game Pass. Game Pass is a more expensive service. So the one that just has Game Pass with no multiplayer should be more expensive than the one that has multiplayer, but no Game Pass or limited Game Pass access. Because remember, running Xbox Live costs nothing compared to running game pass so it's a higher value proposition therefore you pay a little bit more for game pass without online than you pay for online without game pass i I think that makes sense as for the confusing of casual gamers and parents i guess so maybe but um i don't know man I i guess i didn't really think about that all that much so fair point maybe it is confusing but I feel like people will adapt. I, I don't really know necessarily what's so much more clear and understandable about Xbox Live versus you know Xbox Live Silver versus Xbox Live Gold versus Xbox Game Pass versus Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. Although to be fair, Silver and Gold have gone away a long time ago. It's just it was just Xbox Live and then Game Pass and then Game Pass Ultimate. I think they're all equally confusing to parents, to be quite honest. Um, um, but for casual gamers, sure. I mean, it doesn't have the added benefit of a brand that's been around for so long that everyone just inherently gets what it is. So there's a learning curve, maybe. But I, I don't think, you know, if we're starting from scratch and all these brands and all these names are brand new, I don't think these various Game Pass tiers are any more or less confusing than the Xbox Live tiers were back in the day, to be completely fair. So good comment. I like your naming convention that you came up with as well, and I appreciate you writing in, Mr. Malk. Hope you're having a great week. Sam Frito writes in and says, Love being replaced by another name, or life being replaced by another name is so donkers. Like, the first time I got to live and I tried Mech Assault, and some kid told me he was going to fuck my mom's truck tire a hole with his power pole pp a few uh a few racial slurs later from him probably a grown man by now i got a teeny bit better at online gaming uh xbox live has built the cylinders and pistons pumping through them for over a generation 
What we still call war, why can't live remain live? Yes, Games with Gold rarely has any substance aside from Pod Racer, but live is where I found out if mankind is actually maturing or simply posing. By the way, great job. You made it through Xbox buying Activision and your F-bomb count stayed consistent. Sam Frito, or Sam Torres, as you used to be formerly referred to as. I actually love this count. I, I, I don't... Uh, you you have these like sticky lines sometimes, but I think there's nothing maybe more poetic than your line here where you just said Xbox Live is where I fa- is where I found out if mankind is actually maturing or simply posing. Uh, that's dude. That that's I I don't know if you felt a sense of pride when you came up with that, but that's that's oddly poetic and uh, very true, right? The the kind of anonymous nature of being online where people feel like they can say and do whatever the fuck they want without repercussion. Um, shows you a different side of humanity you don't see in the real world where people have to present themselves and be face to face and and have to behave a certain way and it's it's true and it's you know there's something to be said about the death of the Xbox Live name the, the retiring of the brand and the name and the history and the influence that goes with that and it's like I said last week I mean n- not much else to say other than truly this is the end of an era so um <laughs> but I just like I just like the way you put it very poetic very very nicely put, and uh, yeah, I mean, we all remember a kid or two back in the day that called us a couple of words that don't pertain to those of us that are white, uh, <laughs> that definitely shouldn't be repeated, and uh, a, couple, a, a, a bunch of unnecessary assault, assaults and insults geared towards mothers that have never been seen by the many children uh, cursing on Xbox Live. But yeah, shout out to Xbox Live, and thank you. I'm glad to be have made it through the Microsoft Activision deal. I'm on the other side. I'm a hardened veteran, and it's good to be alive. Moving on, let's talk about the perfect pizza. The Blundle 2 wrote in and said... Oh, sorry, the, I always say the Blundle. The Blunden 2 writes in and says, Great show as always. I'm so ready for the Activision shit to be done, and I agree with your take on Major Nelson. He made me so excited for Xbox One back in the day and his coverage and insight on the console before it released. Here go my Blaze pizza order. Classic crust, pesto base, shredded mozzarella, fresh mozzarella, Italian sausage, bacon, artichoke, black olives, mushrooms, red onion, roasted garlic, and hit it with some oregano. I think that sounds like a fucking great pizza. I would take off the black olives, although I could live with the black olives. Um, I'm not crazy about olives. I always try to get into them. I always try to appreciate them more. Um, I, I'm okay with eating them, but I wouldn't choose to necessarily add them. But that's fine. I, I like this pizza a lot. I like the I like the pesto base. I'm into that. Although, what might be a little bit better? <laughs> what if you hit it with like a fucking a little blop of the spicy red sauce and then hit it with the pesto drizzle on top, baby? You know what I'm saying? Although, when I did that last time, it ended up being overpowering. But I love that pizza. That's, that is, now, I wouldn't say it's a perfect pizza, but that is a damn fine pizza. You could serve that to most people and that would be good. And now, as I'm thinking of it, you know what would be like the perfect wedding pizza? Uh, food like if, if if you went to a wedding and they had like you know the the whole traditional catered dinner at a wedding, what if you had like a Blaze Pizza type wedding catering service where instead of like you sit down at a table and they have like a prefix, do you want the steak or the chicken? It's like no no no, you go up to the fucking pizza bar and it's like a it's like a makeshift Blaze. They got a portable pizza brick oven thing and you order your pizza, you customize it just the way you want fast fire 90 second pizzas and that's what they're serving at the wedding everyone gets exactly the pizza they want custom made i think that's a cool 
I don't know why I'm thinking about that, but I just think that's a cool way to do uh, the food, the catering at a wedding. Everyone eats pizza. I feel like that's good. Blaze Pizza, do you guys cater weddings? If so, I will marry my Xbox and you can uh, cater our wedding. So let's move on. Uh, Kronky writes in, says, GTA Remasters, are they good now? He said, I picked up the GTA Remaster collection that came out a few years ago, the one everyone was hating on. Uh, this week it was on sale, and I have to say, driving around, listening to Chatterbox, and not playing the story uh, the same way I did 20 years ago is still fun. Also, the game, I've only tried uh, GTA 3, looks so much better now than it did back in the day. Insane. People are crazy for crapping on it. Well, to be fair, the game you're playing is very different from the game they played because they have updated and fixed so much of the issues that that game had. So you're playing the finished product. They were playing the prematurely released beta product. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. There's a part of me that would like to go back and play that as well. I feel like it'd be fun. But again, it's that Black Ops 2 thing where it's like, is this really the most efficient way for me to spend my gaming time is going back and playing something I've played before. But man, just listen to Chatterbox on GTA 3. For those who don't know, the radio station, the talk show radio station, Chatterbox in, G in GTA 3. Such a good time. You can put that shit on YouTube. There's like whole YouTube videos of just all the audio from Chatterbox. You can just listen to it in the background like it's a podcast. Such good shit, dude. That stuff's so funny. Um, but yeah, shout out to GTA 3. What a great game. All right, let's talk about Xbox and Sega real quick. Mike Clark wrote in and says, Another great show. Uh, another week, another great show. So glad the Activision Blizzard King deal is finally getting done. Black Ops on Switch is something that, as a primary Nintendo gamer, will gladly pay for. Zombies on the go will make doctors' appointments, hospital stays much better. A gold has been a has been poop from what I understand for a while. I don't play online while other console... Uh, sorry, with other consoles anyway. Um, but what but we'll keep whatever allows me to play first-party games day and date. See? There you go. That perfect example of someone who, who maybe Game Pass, but doesn't need Game Pass Core. I have to say, as a Sega guy growing up, Genesis was my first console purchase as an adult, I find some satisfaction seeing Xbox make Sony sweat. Ever since Sony entered gaming, they have used their market position to hurt slash damage Sega and Nintendo. So I love seeing Xbox finally using their stacks of cash to fuck Sony over. Somewhere, Tom Kalinske, Bernie Stoller, rest in peace, and Peter Moore are smiling and maybe having a toast. Yeah, I think that's, I, yeah, something something a little fun and poetic about that. Again, it's like, it's hard for me to celebrate when it's like a massive corporation like Microsoft just touting their fat stacks uh, with like world-changing money to just buy the Call of Duty guys. But yeah, I mean, if you look at it through that like more innocent historical video game kind of lens, it's like, yeah, there is something, there is something to that. And, uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's so funny because I love I love getting up here and shitting on like, I don't think Microsoft should buy Activision. I don't support that deal. I think acquisitions are bad. Consolidating the industry is bad, 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 bad. And then the part of me is just like, ah, oh, I really think Xbox should buy Sega. That's a really good match. And yeah, I mean, I just, well said, man. Tom Kalinske, Peter Moore, Bernie Stoller, the old, the old uh, Sega crew back in the day before most of them jumped ship and went to playstation or xbox or whatever or left altogether. uh yeah it'd be i don't know i just there's something about xbox it's just always going to feel like uh it's always going to feel to me like the uh spiritual successor of sega and they had a strong relationship sega and xbox had a really strong relationship back in the og xbox and early 360 days and i just feel like they've rekindled a lot of that relationship in recent years and it just it seems natural it seems fitting sega and xbox makes sense Se uh, xbox and activision it doesn't make sense, but it happened. So, whatever. All right, last one. Let's wrap it up with a fun one here. Cronky wrote in and says, 
Kill, fuck, marry. Taco Bell, Xbox, Disney. You got to fuck one, marry one, kill one, go. All right, here we go. Here's the thing. We, it's, it's hard. It, X, Xbox, Disney. Are you talking about Disney as a corporation or are we talking about Disney theme parks? Because if we're talking about Disney theme parks, marry Disney, fuck Xbox, kill Taco Bell. Okay, easy. But if we're talking about Disney as like a, a corporation, like the, if we're just talking purely from a corporate standpoint, um, yeah, I don't know. If we're talking about a corporation standpoint, maybe Taco Bell, Mary, fuck Xbox, kill Disney, because that's the order of least awful companies to best companies. Or maybe maybe Mary Xbox, fuck Taco Bell, but definitely kill Disney. I don't know. If we're talking about my favorite product of these companies, we're talking about Taco Bell, the restaurant versus Xbox, the gaming platform versus Disney theme parks. I'm marrying Disney. There's no no doubt about it. Disney theme parks are the greatest thing in the entire universe. You know, going to Epcot or Disneyland out in California or something like that, there's literally nothing better in this world. Tell me you've had sex. I don't believe you because Disney is better. Uh, Tell me, tell me you, 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 you went into a small uh, makeshift submarine and saw the wreckage of the Titanic and got the 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 ultimate private tour of a lifetime and lived to tell the tale. Fuck you. Uh, living with the land is better. Disney better. So marry Disney. Fuck Xbox because I love Xbox, but I just love Disney theme parks more. And then Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. I can live without you. But if we're just talking about a corporation, I'll take Xbox over Disney movies. I'll take Xbox over Disney as a corporation. I'll take Xbox over basically anything Disney does outside of their their parks and resorts. The parks, the hotels, the cruise line. It's the best shit, man. Gotta lock it down. Gotta marry that shit. And stop Bob Iger from fucking it up like he's done all these years. All right, that's it for the show this week, you guys. Thank you all so much for listening, tuning into the Xbox On podcast where we talked about Disney. And uh, that yeah, that's it. So, you know, write in next week if you want to be on the show. Appreciate it. YouTube.com slash Xbox On. Leave a nice review if you're listening on podcast services. I'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. Remember, if you're going to leave anything less than five stars, don't waste your time with the review. Don't need it. But if you are going to leave five stars, I'd really appreciate a review. Subscribe on YouTube. Click the thumbs up. Leave a comment. Help your brother out. I'm trying to grow this podcast. It's growing ever so slowly. It's actually kind of just basically plot. It's just kind of stagnant, really. If I'm being completely honest, I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to be proud about here. Xbox on. It's doing meh right now. And that's uh, that's not a good thing. So I'm trying to get things back on track. And if you guys could help me out with a thumbs up or a rating... I'd greatly appreciate it, but thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for another week of your time and attention. I greatly appreciate it. I know there's many other podcasts and ways to spend your time, and the fact that you ever choose to spend it with me and spend it here listening to Xbox On is it's greatly appreciated. It's not lost on me. So have a great week. Be well. Take care. Eat delicious food. Stay safe. And spend time with people you love. And let them know you care. But most importantly, pet your kitties and power your dreams. Mm-hmm.